And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. You know, we started a, a series of messages last week on healings and miracles. We looked at the woman at the issue of blood with Mark chapter 5. And this morning, let me ask you to turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, as we talk about Naaman's miracle. Naaman's miracle. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, starting with verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, the king of Aram... The king of Aram, you say, what in the world is Aram? Well, Aram is another name for Syria. Syria is a country that's contiguous to Israel on the northeast side. In fact, when you, when you leave the Sea of Galilee, as you head northeast, you reach some mountains that are called the Golan Heights. And as you go up over the Golan Heights, and then you keep going about 20 or 30 miles, you'll actually come to what is called Damascus, Syria. That's where Paul was headed. Saul of Tarsus was headed there when he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He was on the road to Damascus. And so that's what he's talking about here. When you hear, see the word Aram, it's talking about Syria. Syria. It says the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. Here's this guy, he's a successful general, but he lived with a dark secret. He was a leper. You see, leprosy was the most feared disease of the Old Testament. In fact, lepers in Israel were quarantined into leper colonies in Israel. Apparently, Syria didn't do this, but Israel would not allow you. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, you couldn't continue to live at home. You had to go live in the leper's colony, and you had to wear clothes that were torn. And if you came in contact with anybody else, you had to cry out like the woman of the your blood. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And when people realized you were a leper, they would begin running because leprosy was contagious. And in its worst forms, it would lead to death. You know, the way it would work is leprosy would start off as, as spots on your skin. And those spots would look grotesque. And usually it was limited to your arms to your hands, to your legs, and your feet, and your nose of all places. And what would happen is over time that those sores, actually a bacteria, would begin to destroy the nerve endings in your extremities where you couldn't feel anything. And there are stories of lepers who would actually lose a finger and not even know it. They would sometimes lose two fingers or lose part of their nose and not even be aware of it because they didn't have any feeling at all. Well, Naaman, the Bible says, was a great general, but he was a leper. Apparently, he was able to cover up his leprosy. Maybe he wore gloves. I don't know what he did, but he covered it up. And, you know, he was a mighty warrior, but he had a dark secret. Everybody look at me. Everybody listen. There are a lot of people in this whole world who, when you look at them, they look like they got their act together. When you look at them, they look like, man, they are just living the, the super life. 
But deep down inside, they've got dark secrets that they don't want anybody to know about. There's a young man, his name is Bart Millard, and Bart was a member of the gospel group Mercy Me. And Bart Millard was raised with a dark secret. His dark secret was this, his daddy was an alcoholic, and his daddy would beat Bart and his mama on a regular basis. And one day, Bart came home from school, and his mama said, I can't take this anymore, and she was gone. She left Bart to have to live with this abusive father. And time after time, this man in a drunken rage would begin beating on Bart, and Bart would endure his rage. And then in high school, somebody told Bart about Jesus, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ and he began praying for his daddy and his daddy contracted cancer yet before his daddy died his daddy put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ after his daddy's funeral Bart began to think about heaven he began to read the scriptures about heaven and he began to wonder what's dad experiencing and he wrote that song I can only imagine and you'll remember the story that he actually sold the rights to the song to Amy Grant Amy Grant had been the leading Christian artist for about 10 or, or 12 years but her career had gone down and she needed a major song to, 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 to get back in front of everybody and I can only imagine was going to be that song and yet to Amy's credit just before she released the the album with I can only imagine she turned to Bart Miller and she said Bart you're really the guy that should release this song to the world and so Bart Miller and Mercy Me recorded I can only imagine and today it's the most recorded song in the history of Christian modern at least contemporary Christian music. It's absolutely amazing. But here's this young man. He had a dark secret. There are a lot of people that have dark secrets. I've got a friend named David. David was raised in Toronto, Canada by a dad that was an artist and a mom that loved him. And yet his dad was an alcoholic, and David said as a little boy, his dad would be home one day, and then the next day, dad just wouldn't be around, and sometimes he wasn't around for days and weeks and even months, and then he would get on the wagon, and he'd come back home, and then he would drop out again, and David said it made for an upsetting childhood, and then his mother developed mental and emotional problems. And David said when he was 11 years old, he came home from school one day, and his mother was standing on the front porch, and she said, David, you're no good. You're just like your old man. You are not welcome. You, this is not your home anymore. Get out. And 11 years old, David Geyertson found himself on the streets of Toronto, he said he stayed that first night at a friend's house and the second night at another friend's house. And for the next couple of weeks, he stayed wherever he could, 11 years of age. And a couple heard about David's situation and they already had eight children and they said, what's one more? And so they invited David to their home and David said this family was different because they attended church every week and not only did they attend church, but they all were musical and they at night would get their musical instruments out and they would sing gospel songs and in the summertime they would travel to camp meetings and to churches and they took David with them and David was the only one that didn't have an instrument and so they bought a little toy drum and David got to play his drum and join right in with them. Well, they not only took David to, to church and he found himself having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
But they took him to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to one of Catherine Kuhlman's healing services. And David said for the first time in his life, he saw saw a tangible anointing literally changing lives inside that that, that big auditorium where Catherine Kuhlman would have her Thursday morning, or or maybe it was Tuesday morning, healing services. In fact, how many of you know Pastor Robert Lisi, who was on our staff for about 16, 17 years? You know, Pastor Lisi has got, he suffers from curvature of the spine and he used to be in a lot of pain, but he was a teenager and he went to one of Catherine Kuhlman's healing services and God healed him, took every bit of pain out of his life. Now he's still bent over a bit, but he's, he's now in his 80s and he says, I've not had any pain since that day. Hallelujah. I said, Jesus is a healer. Well, they took David to Catherine Kuhlman's services and it developed a hunger in him for a deeper walk with God, a hunger for more of the Holy Spirit. He became a Methodist pastor and David was pastoring Methodist churches in Michigan, but he kept saying, there's got to be more. And somebody told him about this baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And so David began to pray that he'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some people prayed with him and David got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, out of my innermost being, there began to flow rivers of living water. David went on and he became the president of Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. And then he became the president of Regent University in Virginia Beach. And I got an opportunity to work with David for for, for a number of years. He's still one of my dear friends today. And it is amazing how God has used David because he's a little boy who grew up with secrets, secrets he couldn't talk to other people about. A little boy put on the streets but a little boy that responded to the grace of God. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. You may be carrying a dark secret this morning. You may be carrying a secret that torments your soul. I want you to know Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. Jesus sets at liberty the captives. The Bible says a bruised reed Jesus will not break. And smoking flax he will not quench. Hallelujah. We've got this fellow named Naaman. He's got a secret. He's got leprosy. Verse 2, at that time, Aramean raiders, Syrian raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his Leprosy. Folks, Jesus is a savior. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a Holy Ghost baptizer. He's a soon coming king. But people need to know. It's not enough just for me to know how wonderful my Jesus is for me. Because we live in a world that's going to hell in a handbasket. We live in a world that is as confused as it could be. And people need to know that there's hope. People need to know that there is a Jesus. People need to know that there is a God who loves them. And a God who will make a difference in their life. Hallelujah. You know, it's. The fall of the year, school has just started this past week. A lot of roommates are getting to know each other. I heard one time about a a Christian university student who moved into his dorm room and he discovered that he had a Muslim roommate. As they became friends, 
they both noted the Christian had a Bible on his desk and the Muslim had a Quran on his desk. And the Christian looked at him and says, you know, I've never read the Quran. Have you ever read the Bible? And the Muslim said, no, I've never read the Bible. And the Christian said, why don't we do this? Let's take 30 minutes every Friday and we'll read 15 minutes in the Quran and then we'll read 15 minutes in the scripture and we'll start at the gospel of John. They did that for six months and at the end of six months that Muslim had dedicated his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. One day he came into the dorm room and he says, you know, it's really not fair what you had me to do. He says, I just read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that says the word of God is quick and sharp and powerful and alive and it, it'll pierce even to the division of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the joints and the marrow and the deepest intents of the heart. That wasn't fair. This book is alive. Ever since you had me read this book with you, it's come alive in me. Hallelujah. Dear ones, this little servant girl could have been intimidated. This little servant girl could have thought, you know, here I am. I've been abducted from Israel. I'm now a servant. I'm now a slave. Here's this very wealthy Syrian commander and his wife that I'm serving. You know, I think I'm just going to be quiet. It would have been so easy for her to be quiet. But how many of you know we all need people who will look at us and speak truth to us? We all need people in our lives. It doesn't matter. See, you got to learn to look past People standing in this old world. We got to look past their degrees or past the amount of money they got in the bank or what size house they live in or what kind of car they drive or don't drive. You know, we got to look past all the trappings of this world and folks just see people that are in need because there's a lot of people that are hurting today. There are a lot of people that are in trouble today. They need somebody, somebody that'll minister to them. And yet I found in this old world as a pastor that there's two kinds of people. First of all, they're basement people. Basement people are, are people that'll always put you down. Basement people will tell you what's wrong with you. Basement people will describe how bad you are. Basement people will just tell you about your troubles, but they won't do anything to help you. Ever known a, a basement person? <laughs> I'll tell you, I've learned something as a pastor. Listen to me, Pastor Zach. Listen carefully. There are some people in this whole world who just want to be sad. There are some people that want to be unhappy. And I've discovered that I can work all day long to try to make them happy. But at some point in time, they're going to revert back to unhappiness because that's the trajectory of their lives. But there are other people that want to be happy. There are other people that want to be Light a, light a light in the darkness instead of extinguishing the candles. But some people are basement people. I, I've told you the story before about the man. I was a young pastor, first church I'd ever been the senior pastor of. And I'm glad it was a small church because I didn't know hardly anything. I thought I did, but I really didn't. This man would call me the first of every week. And he began complaining about the church. He didn't like the worship one week. He didn't like the person leading worship. He didn't like the person playing the keyboard. I remember we had, we had some, some, some wooden part of the auditorium had some wooden floors. And the person that played the keyboard, this lady, she wore high heels. And when she walked across the floor, you could hear it click, clack, click, clack. And that got on his nerves. 
he had a bad day because of that. Some weeks he called me, he didn't like my sermon. Sometimes he, 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 didn't, he didn't like the way I gave the altar call. I mean, he just could not, I couldn't seem to satisfy him. And one day I was praying about it, and it, it had dawned on my lightning fast mind that what I'm going to start doing is every time we have a miracle, every time somebody gets saved, every time somebody is healed, every time somebody testifies to God meeting their needs, every time God shows up, I'm going to write it down. And the next week I was ready for him when he called. I says, oh my brother I'm so glad you called me let me tell you what God is doing God saved this person and he saved that person I said there was a there was a lady who who said she was molested as a child and God has set her free hallelujah let me tell you about this one that's been healed let me tell you about this marriage has been restored let me tell you what God's doing he hung up <laughs> the next week just like clockwork he calls me I said, oh, brother, I'm so glad you called. Let me tell you what God is doing. In fact, let me tell you, I was reading this morning in the Psalms, and he says, many may be the afflictions, but God of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all. I said, isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God meets all of our need according to his riches and glory? Aren't you glad that God gives us a merry heart that does us good like a medicine? Aren't you glad that Jesus... Jesus lives inside you and me. And you know, my brother, I was reading in 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Corinthians 6 says that our bodies are literally the temples of the Holy Ghost. That means that your body and my body is the holy of holies, and God himself has written a, a, our names in the book of life, and our bodies have become his temples, and he lives in us, and he abides in us, and the Holy Ghost is a down payment on all eternity. We hung up. <laughs> He never called me again. Some people are basement people, but some people are balcony people. Balcony people will lift you up. Balcony people will speak hope to you. Balcony people will say God's going to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. Oh, you can be having a bad day, but a balcony person will say, just don't forget that God knows how to part the Red Seas. He can stop up the Jordan River. He can bring manna and quail. <laughs> he can multiply a little boy's lunch. Don't forget, our God is a miracle-working God, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Balcony people will listen to you when you're having a bad day. Balcony people won't criticize you, but they will speak truth to you. I'm so glad that this little girl decided to be a, a balcony person. If you're taking notes today, write this down. I want to be a balcony person and not a basement person, okay? Verse 4, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction to you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver. Somebody says a lot of silver. <laughs> if, you, if, you go, if you Google 750 pounds of pure silver today, you'll find that it's worth about $196,000 in today's economy. This guy had a bunch of wagons with him. Not only that, but he has 150 pounds of gold. 150 pounds of gold today, of pure gold, 
Google it. You'll find out that it's worth about $2.8 million. Plus he had 10 changes of raiment. This guy is traveling from Syria down to Elisha's house and he's got over $3 million with him. He thought he was going to buy his healing. How many of you know you can't buy your salvation? The price has already been paid. It's free. You can't buy your healing. You can't buy your deliverance. You can obey the word of God, but you can't buy it. In fact, John and Peter were ministering in Samaria, and they were ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and people were being filled with the Spirit. And there was a fellow named Simon the Sorcerer, and he says, here, let me buy this power that I too can bestow the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked at him and says, your money perish with you. You don't have the right spirit. You can't buy the things of God. They come by faith in God's grace. You get saved by grace through faith. You get healed by grace through faith. You get filled with the Holy Ghost by grace through faith. You get delivered by grace through faith. Your needs are met by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at verse 6. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But thank God for Elisha. Look at verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Well, that's pretty easy to understand. Go and dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. Okay. But look at verse 11. But Naaman became angry. He stalked away. He said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord of his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and the Abana and the Farfar, aren't they better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. If you're taking notes, write this down. God will offend your mind to expose your heart. See, this man was guilty of what I've done many times. Many times I used to pray and in my prayer I would describe to God how he could answer my prayer. You ever done that? God, I I need this. Now if you just do this and make that happen and make this person change their mind and, and do the other, then it'll all work out. How many of you know God doesn't need our help? This guy was a big shot. He was a big shot in Syria. And he thought that he was being disrespected by the prophet. He he was a big shot general and he wanted a big shot prophet to come out and wave his hand and say, yes, 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 be healed. That's how he wanted it done. 
Naaman became angry. Dear ones, I just want to suggest to you that we never need to tell God how he can bless us. What you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm blessable. God, you can use anybody that you want to, but I'm blessable. You know, just the chapter before this, do you know who God used to sustain the prophet Elisha? He used the, the widow, the little widow woman who didn't have anything. Can you imagine what the Jerusalem Gazette, what their headlines said when they heard that this prophet of God was living off this widow woman? What they didn't know is that God was doing miracles for her. Don't ever say, God, you can, you can bless me through this person, but you can't bless me through that. Pat Robertson used to tell the story about how he told God, he says, God, I want you to bless our ministry, but you can only bless me through wealthy people. You can't bless me through poor people. And he talked about the rough lessons that he learned. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, there's not many wise, there's not many mighty, there's not many people that have their act together. I qualify for all that. I'm just amazed sometimes that God would even use me. I'm just amazed. Aren't you amazed he would use you? He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for brilliant people. He's looking for available people. He's looking for somebody to say, God, you can use me. I may not have it together. I may not always, always know the answers, but Jesus, you can use me. I'll give a cup of cold water in your name. I'll serve in your name. I'll change baby's diapers in the nursery. Amen. There's our nursery coordinator right there. I'll help wipe off little runny noses. You can use me, Jesus. Remember that story? I think I just shared it last week about, about Mordecai Ham. He was in North Carolina. He had a tent. He's had a revival going on. And these two teenagers, they thought it was a circus or a concert. And so they went in. And when they saw that it was a gospel service, they almost left. But there was an usher who saw them starting to leave and he walked up he said young man we've got two special seats just for you and he showed them those seats we don't know who that usher was but he was somebody who said Jesus you can use me he was somebody who said God my name may not go down in history but you can use me he sat those teenage two teenage boys and when the altar call was given they both responded gave their hearts to Christ and one of them was Billy Graham who God used to, 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 to minister to over 2.2 million people face to face with the gospel of G. You never know. I'm telling you, that baby's diaper that you changed, that may be the next, gov not the next, but one day be the governor of Florida. <laughs> that may be the president of the United States. Come on. That little child that you teach back there in, in children's church, one day he or she might find the, the cure for cancer. You just don't know. They might become a, a great evangelist. You don't know. The Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't ever tell God who he can use to bless you and to help you. You know, when I was in Bible college, being ignorant is, is not knowing what you don't know, okay? 
And a little knowledge is dangerous. And here I was in Bible college and I'm getting a little bit of knowledge and I thought, man, I know how to do ministry. And we had a chapel speaker one day. And this chapel speaker was not very articulate. In fact, he butchered the English language. He personally had never gotten an opportunity to go to school. But I'll tell you what this man had. He had an anointing in his life. Other people would, 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 would share and nothing would happen. This guy would share and the very glory of God would fill the house. God, because God uses those things that are not to confound those things that are. I'd never met this man, but I knew he was a friend of my father's. Well, frankly, when that chapel service was over, I was glad to get out. I made a beeline across the quadrangle. I made a beeline for my dormitory, and I heard this voice of this evangelist. Terrell Todd! I just started walking faster. <laughs> you say, why? Because the quad was filled with my classmates. I didn't want anybody to think that I knew that man. I was embarrassed. How dumb can you get and still breathe? I don't know. But I was pretty dumb. Again, Terrell Todd! I just kept rocking. The third time, Terrell Todd! And I thought, well, people are looking at me like, why, why is he yelling for you? So I walked back. I shook his hand. He says, I know your daddy. I said, I said yes, sir, I've heard him mention you. He said, Terrell, I've had you on my heart. I've been praying for you, boy. He says, I just want to pray for you. And right out there on the quadrangle in front of God and everybody else, he laid his hands on me and he began to pray. And I began to shake under the power of the Holy Ghost, literally quiver. Big tears started running down my eyes. Then he began to prophesy and my heart began to melt. God taught this boy a lesson that day. Don't ever say, God, you can't use that person. God, you can't bless me through them. God's just looking somebody. He just wants to, to bless you. See, Naaman's problem here is that he had told God how he could answer his prayer. He had told God how he wanted a big shot prophet to, to minister to him. And he almost, he almost lost his healing. Look at this with me. Verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. Everybody say, went down. Went down. Now that's very important. He goes down to the Jordan River. Here's the reason, it's because the Jordan River... Jordan River starts actually up on the Mount Hermon on the northern side of Israel, the northeastern side of Israel. There's Mount Hermon and the snows would melt and they create streams and they would come down and that's how this lake called the Sea of Galilee was fed from those streams that came down Mount Hermon and other mountains. Okay, the Sea of Galilee, most of, how many of you have heard of the Sea of Galilee? Let me just see your hands. Almost all of us. See, the only reason we know about the Sea of Galilee is because Jesus of Nazareth did miracles there. Because Jesus ministered there. 
The Sea of Galilee is not special. It's only about seven miles across. It's about 13 or 14 miles long. It's, it's, a, it's a great lake. Don't get me wrong, but it's not something. There are a lot of more beautiful lakes. There are a lot of lakes that would command our attention before the Sea of Galilee would. So on the north, here's the snow coming down to make it up. And on the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, the water poured out. The elevation is about 1,000 feet above sea level there. But it starts to go down. The word Jordan means to go down. The word Jordan means to descend. And the Jordan River only goes for something just a little less than 100 miles. And it's like a snake going back and forth and back and forth. And it, the, the more it goes, the lower it goes. It actually goes down to 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on the earth. And it gets muddy. It's not attractive. Oh, it's nice up there when it's first coming out of the Sea of Galilee. I can tell you this. I baptized a busload of people years ago there. I baptized about 50 people in the Sea of Galilee, or excuse me, in the Jordan River right beneath the headwaters. And it was cold. It was April and it was freezing. I turned blue. I mean, my teeth were chattering. I didn't think I was going to ever warm up after doing that. But I'm glad we didn't do it down around by Jericho because in Jericho, that is one muddy, unattractive river as it's going down, down, down. And so let's join Verse 13, his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's and he was healed. Can you say hallelujah? Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. How much was the gift? Three million dollars, remember? Then verse 16, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha Refuse. What's that all about? God wanted Naaman to know that you can't buy your healing. You can't buy. You can't manipulate. You can't control God. You can't manipulate. You can't control the Holy Spirit. But what you can do is you can obey his promptings, what he tells you to do. In 1752, A kite was taken and a key was put on the kite and Benjamin Franklin ran it up in the air during the middle of a lightning storm and people began to understand a little bit about electricity and then later Thomas Edison came along and Nikolai Tesla and they did experiments and they captured the power of electricity. But here's the truth, electricity has been around since God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't until 1752 that we first got a grasp of maybe how it works and then I've read that Thomas Edison 
had about 9,000 failures before he was able to actually capture it and create the, the light bulb. Dear ones, I'm telling you, the power of God is here. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is here right now. The same power that, that, that healed Naaman. There was no power in the water. The power was in the obedience. The healing was because he humbled his heart and he obeyed. Jesus, the power of God is available. Sometimes we spend our whole life saying, oh God, would you please? Could you please? Might you please? But on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Hallelujah. God's just looking for somebody that's going to put faith in his grace. Maybe you got secrets in your life. I want you to know those secrets don't have to define you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been molested. Maybe you've been manipulated. Maybe people have done unspeakable things to you. I want you to know Jesus will bind up that brokenness and he will set you free. Hallelujah. He's looking for somebody though that'll say, Jesus, I put my faith in your grace and I receive freedom and I receive deliverance and I receive wholeness. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says none are righteous, not any of us. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Forgiveness is available. It takes forgiveness of sins to make it to heaven. You say, well, God's a God of love. Well, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And James says that justice is without mercy. And so it requires forgiveness of our sins and forgiveness is available but it's not automatic it's not automatic because Jesus said in Matthew 7 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my father in heaven he says in that day some are going to come and say Lord didn't we prophesy in your name and didn't we do miracles in your name and didn't we see people healed in your name and I'll say depart from me I never knew you you workers of iniquity that word iniquity means to do your own thing it means that God's word says this is the way you're supposed to live and we say no I think I think I know it a little better I think I want to do something else that's called iniquity that's also known as lawless rebellion and the way you deal with iniquity and the way you deal with lawless rebellion is to repent of your sins to say Jesus I repent I'm turning away from this sin I ask you to forgive me but don't just forgive me so I can go back to it again forgive me and set me free set me free from this bondage in Jesus name forgiveness is available but it's not automatic because it's impossible for a holy God to allow sin in his heaven. So we have to turn. We turn from our sin, we turn from our selfishness, we turn from the world, we turn from the devil, and we turn to the cross, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we can make heaven our home. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody moving, nobody talking right now. You say, Terrell, in the stillness of this moment, I want to turn from iniquity. I want to turn from sin. I want to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Today, I'm going to call on the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The stillness of this moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed. You'd say, Terrell, that's me. I want to turn from sin and I want to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just put your hand up and leave it up until I see it. Just put your hand up and leave it up until I see it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Anybody else in the stillness of this moment? I want the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I'm going to turn from going my own way and doing my own thing. I'm going to turn from lawless rebellion and I'm going to turn to Jesus Christ, the lover of my soul. Anybody else? Just put your hand up and take it right down. Yes, thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Hallelujah. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.